0: So it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Now the book of Ephesians, so the book of Ephesians and particularly this passage we're looking at today answers one of the most important questions that any of us ask. It's a question that's been around forever and one that we all wrestle with and I'm going to come to that in a minute. But first of all a bit of an introduction to the book of uh, Ephesians. Um, uh, The New Testament uh, again, just to 're uh, right back to basics, uh, the New Testament is made up of a number of different books. Uh, there are five books of narrative. So there's uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, which are all story. Uh, then at the end of the New Testament, there's a prophetic book, which is the book of Revelation, or the book of Revelations. Uh, but then in between those two, there are loads of other books, and they are all letters. And Most of the New Testament books are are letters and they're letters written from people in the early church uh, to either individuals such as 1 or 2 Timothy or Titus or written to churches uh, such as Galatians or uh, Colossians or uh, wherever it may be. Um, So a whole load of different books and they're written by different church leaders whether it's written by Peter, written by John, uh, written by James, the majority of them are written by the Apostle Paul. And that is uh, the book, uh, that, that's the book that we have today, that's what category uh, that, fall, that falls into. Now, a lot of the letters deal with specific issues, so they deal with issues um, that have maybe come up uh, in a particular church, um, maybe, and some of them deal with even things that, you know, maybe Paul or someone is writing to a particular person, so there are various bits of letters that say, oh, by the way, Ticinius, can you bring me that cloak which I left last week? Or, you know... Bob, remind him not to pick his nose or, you know, or whatever, whatever it might be. There are various kind of odd bits and pieces where we go, ah, right, he's writing to a particular person there. Okay, so maybe it's not for everybody uh, today that we shouldn't pick our nose or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, but Ephesians is slightly different. The reason I mention that is Ephesians is slightly different. Um, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was probably written when Paul was in prison in Rome uh, Ephesians chapter 3 talks about uh, Paul talks about his chains are so probably written when he was uh, in prison in Rome um, and he was probably writing not just to the church in Ephesus but to a whole number of churches uh, at the very start verse 1 uh, in a book of Ephesians it says this to God's holy people in Ephesus you've got uh, a bible in front of you you'll notice it's got one of those tiny little footnote thingies uh, and that's where you have to get out your magnifying glass to read the kind of minuscule prints at the bottom and see what it actually says and you look really closely and it says some early manuscripts do not have in ephesus and usually you read that and you think well what's the big deal Well, the thing here is that probably this was a circular letter written to a number of different churches. So again, on the map here, it was probably written to other churches around Ephesus. Maybe the church in Colossae, Corinth, Thessaloniki, Philippi, kind of all the churches around there. A little bit like, you know when you get um, an email and it's addressed to you, and you're like, all oh, right, okay, you know, dear Graham, uh, so-and-so. And then you read the email, and you realize, actually, it's just a circular email, but they've got some clever computer system that inserts your name at the top and makes you think that it's a personal email. You know what I mean? Uh, I wonder, that's the sort of thing, I imagine, that's, if you like, modern day, going on here, um, written to e- the Ephesians, but actually the same letter was sent to various other places uh, as well. So that is the book of Ephesians. It's Paul's summary of how to do church. summary of how to do church. The first half of the book is much more theoretical and theological, the first three chapters. Second half, uh, second three chapters are more practical, uh, and we'll be coming to them uh, later on uh, in uh, in the term. But going back to that original key question, the key question that the first chapter answers is, who am I? And I think it's a question that we're all trying to answer, even subconsciously, We're seeking for that. And not just us, if you like, in the church. I think everybody, people outside the church, people at work, people in the supermarket, people at school, people you're studying with, whoever it is, who am I? You see, our sense of worth, of value, of acceptance comes from our identity. It underpins virtually everything we do. Who am I? And different cultures, I've said this before, you may have probably heard me say this before, different cultures maybe put that identity on different things. In our culture, in our Western culture, uh, if you meet someone for the very first time, uh, often the, one of the first questions you end up asking them after what's your name and you know uh, a few other things, often the first question you end up asking them is, oh, and what do you do? Our culture has a tendency to put identity on our work. It puts value on our work. That's how we kind of like to box people, if you like. Great if you've got a job you enjoy and you're good at it. Not so great if maybe you're either unemployed or you feel your job is not worth that much or you feel it's not valued in your culture or you're retired or whatever. That's what our culture tends to do. Not every culture does that. I've spoken before when I've been in various places in Africa, uh, often it's not about what you do. One of the first questions people ask you is, oh, and how's your family? Have you got kids? Are you married? If you're not married, they often say, why aren't you married? Sometimes a bit awkward for people. How are your parents? How are your brother and sister? And that comes way before, what do you do? A culture which values family higher than that. Again, you may say, well, that sounds much better. Sometimes, sometimes not. Actually, in that culture, for couples who maybe struggle to have children or uh, people who uh, maybe haven't got married or, or whatever, it, it can sometimes raise uh, different issues uh, than our culture looking at jobs. Uh, when we were traveling, for those of you who don't know, I've come back recently from a sabbatical, and one of the things we did was we took the kids traveling around Southeast Asia for six weeks. And one of the key questions, you, know, you end up chatting with someone, some of the other people who were traveling as well, loads of other people traveling. Um, uh, inevitably, I ended up chatting with people who were traveling and got on with them and thought, hey, you know, it's great. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're very, very similar. And then you end up saying, well, how old are you? And you discover they're 19 on their gap year. You know, and you think, oh, great, you're... Almost half my age um, but anyway we were traveling with our three little kids and one of the first questions you asked people was uh, oh and where are you from where are you from you're from Germany or from Sweden or from America or Canada or, or whatever it is and we put a kind of identity on the place people uh, come from there isn't a problem with that it's what we do as a culture but so many of us are also insecure in our identity and our culture around us fills that void Advertising tells us what we need to get, how we need to be, if we want to find our identity. If you buy this car or this phone, you will be good looking. You will be like this person, you will be successful, you will be accepted. If you read this book, your kids will be content and you will be the most wonderful parent ever. If you eat this food, you will be slim, tanned, have perfect white teeth and the most fantastic boyfriend and girlfriend, obviously. Everyone is searching for identity, who am I? And for the first century Christians, the people Paul was writing to, they'd had a lot of this stuff stripped away. For some of them, being a Christian meant being thrown out of their community, being made unemployed, being rejected by their family. So where was their identity? And that's where the book of Ephesians starts, right? at the start. Identity. Here, um, on the next slide, here's a list of some of the things uh, that it mentions about identity. It says, Christians, he would say, writes to the Ephesians, you're a saint, you're in Christ, you're chosen, you're holy and blameless in his sight, you're an adopted child of God, you're redeemed through Jesus' blood, you're forgiven of sins, you're lavished with the richness of God's grace, you're for the praise of his glory, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're God's possession. That's your identity, it's where he begins saying to the Ephesians. I'm just going to pick three of them for us to look at uh, this afternoon. Just 10 minutes over, 12 o'clock. So three of them I want to look at. First of all, you are a saint. Verse one says this, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And when it says to God's holy people, that literally means to the saints of Ephesus again it says it a little bit later on verse 4 it says for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy to be saints what does it mean to be holy what does it mean to be a saint I think often in our heads when we think of saints we think of very very pious people we have an image of saints of people who spend their whole lives eating only broccoli And maybe praying 18 times a day and wearing only a loincloth. Okay, maybe they could be a saint, but not me. My brother is doing some work at the moment in Ethiopia, and uh, he's been living there for a a, a month or so. And uh, one of the things he's done on his day off is he took a tour guide up into the mountains in Ethiopia, um, where there are some ancient monasteries. Um, the kind of ancient, with ancient Christian heritage. Uh, Ethiopia has a wonderful Christian heritage. It's really, really interesting. Um, and they have some kind of first and second century, third century kind of, kind of Christian uh, monasteries and churches uh, up there. And he went to visit some of them. And some of them he had to trek for the whole day up into the mountain. And some of them he had to go around kind of tiny little ledges uh, in the mountains where you'd have a kind of 200-meter drop on one side. And you can, he was kind of hugging the wall as he went round, and found these tiny little communities Um, of churches of people who had spent he met someone who'd spent his whole life in one of these little churches up in the mountains i think he left once a year or something to go down into the valley and back up but spent his whole time studying and praying and in our minds we kind of think oh that's a saint this is a picture here when i i went to um, israel uh, A a while back, and uh, with my mum, and this was a a community uh, again similar to that in um, in the region of of the desert there in the Judean Desert, and uh, they'd have people uh, originally who would, uh, if people wanted to join the monastery, they came to the monastery, and then they were sent to little holes in the cliff. Uh, and in the holes in the cliff, they had to spend weeks, if not years, in these little holes on their own, having food passed up to them. All they had to do was think you know, think and pray and read scripture. That's sometimes what we think about saints. But Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, to God's saints in Ephesus. In the book of Corinthians, Paul begins by saying, to the saints in Corinth and then goes on to berate the Corinthians about how immoral they are, how awful they are, and how they need to change their lives. And yet he still calls them saints. Being a saint, being holy, is about being set apart. And that's what this first part is about. You are set apart to be holy and blameless. Verse five, you're set apart for adoption. Verse seven, you're set apart to be pure, forgiven, be redeemed. We think of holiness As something to be earned. But Paul says, no, you are already holy. If you know Jesus and he is your Savior, you are already holy. That is the gospel of grace. You see, the message of works says, if you work really, really hard, one day you might get to be holy and pure. But Paul says to the Ephesians, you are holy already. The gospel of grace is you are already holy and pure, now live a life worthy of this in response to what God has done for you. Um, There's a preacher called Simon Ponsonby, I don't know if uh, any of you have come across him. He's this enormous guy with a huge beard, he used to be a butcher. And uh, he often talks, talks about it. He's, uh, he preaches. He's kind of, uh, I think he's the minister of theology at St. Aldates uh, in Oxford. And uh, what he uh, usually does, when he, whenever he comes to do a talk, he usually gets, uh, gets a stand or wherever he is. And he, he, he kind of, he always leans on it like this. And I always think it's going to break every time. And he kind of leans it over or something. And he, this big guy, he stares around. And he tends to eyeball everybody in the congregation and then in his deep, gravelly voice, which I'm not going to try and uh, recreate, he says, good morning, saints. And then gets on with the rest of his talk. And I always found that slightly odd when he first did it. I was like, oh, uh, what's he doing? He explained it once. We're saints. We are gathered saints together, holy ones, chosen, set apart. So, Christchurch, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, saints. You are saints. That's part of your identity. So first of all, we're saints. Secondly, we are children of God. Verse 5 says that we have an adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. And this is a theme that comes up regularly in Paul's writing, this idea of adoption. Romans chapter 7 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Now, where it says sonship in there, it's not just for men, okay? People become children of God, both sons and daughters, but the reason why uh, the word sonship is used there, and the reason why it's still translated sonship is, again, you have to get your magnifying glass out and look at the note at the very bottom uh, of your Bible. Uh, the idea of uh, a sonship came with the idea of becoming an heir in the Roman world. Uh, it, was, it was traditional uh, that if you were a, a kind of famous and uh, well-off uh, Roman uh, person and uh, maybe you didn't get on with your kids or maybe you didn't want them to inherit everything, or, or whatever. You, or you didn't have kids. You would sometimes choose somebody, uh, uh, a, a young man. Uh, usually, uh, I don't think. I think they were the only people who could inherit stuff in that culture. Um, you would choose a young man to adopt and as your son. And part of adopting them as your son was that they became your heir, which meant that. Not only did they inherit all your wealth, maybe your house and all that sort of thing, they also inherited your status, your standing in culture, your name, your prominence, your role, whatever it was. They inherited all of that. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here. That we, are, we are become sons, we become inheritors, heirs of God, adopted into sonship. It's for both men and women. We become sons and daughters of God of God heirs of God verse 14 says it talks about the Holy Spirit being given us to guarantee our inheritance that passage in Romans 7 I just read goes on to say now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ do you know that Jesus is your older brother you ever thought about that if you become a child of God and uh, Jesus is the son of God he's your older brother heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We receive everything that comes along with the inheritance of being a child of God, the status of that, uh, the blessings of that, the spiritual blessings uh, of that, everything is given to us as children of God. I wonder what it would mean to live deeply knowing that you are a child of God. So, first of all, we're saints. Secondly, we are children of God. And thirdly, we are in Christ. Verse 1 again says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesus, but it also says the people in Christ. This is repeated throughout the passage. Verse 4, he chose us in him verse 7 in him we have redemption verse 11 in him we were chosen verse 13 we are included in Christ I was reading uh, a commentary on Ephesians uh, I should say I think um, the book of Ephesians is one I think it's the, the book of the Bible where I have the greatest number of commentaries uh, on my shelf I um, uh, I haven't bought them all. Most, most of my commentaries I've sort of inherited from either um, uh, other people who bought for me or clergy who have retired or uh, have gone to be with the Lord. They've sort of passed on various commentaries, uh, which means I haven't read most of them. But I look at them, and they look very nice on my shelf, you know. And um, if you come and see my study and you look at the books and you say, wow, Graham's very well read. Um, probably only about 10% of them I've read, but they look great. So lots of commentaries on Ephesians. And I'm hoping over this series I'm actually going to get to have a chance to read some of them. But one of the commentaries, that when, I, when I happened to read it, talked about this concept and said this. With the expression, in Christ Jesus, we encounter one of the most significant and difficult points in Paul's writings. Paul is not merely saying these people believed in Christ, rather they were in christ positionally this concept of being in christ is one if not the most important part of paul's theology for this is the center from which he understood and explained salvation apparently it appears 164 times in paul's letters what does it mean to be in christ come along to the rest of the series and you'll find out but in summary they are both in Ephesus but also in Christ if you are a Christian you are so connected with Christ that it isn't just that you believe in him somehow you are actually in Christ I was trying to think of an image of what might help us understand this uh the image I'm about to share I'm not sure this is that helpful but it might be for some of you I don't know um so take it or leave it but um have you I, I don't know how many of you listen to music uh with headphones in Um, and uh, I don't know how many of you listen to music with headphones in and sing along as well. I don't know, what's it like? I don't know, again, picture someone you know who's someone else with headphones in, listening to music and them singing along themselves. Does it sound any good? Usually, I think, when people sing along with headphones in, it doesn't sound very good. And usually you get a kind of, uh, yeah, and it's usually too loud and a little bit out of tune. But when you're the person doing it, it sounds amazing. And you think you sound amazing. You know, you've got your headphones in and you're like, you're singing along and you just think this sounds awesome because you've got the music in your ears and you think you're singing along with whoever it is. And actually outside it sounds terrible, but it sounds great to you. Sometimes I wonder, just a picture of being in Christ. But actually the things that we try and do actually sometimes are a bit broken and a bit flat and so maybe don't sound that great sort of thing. But then you're plugged into Christ and actually with being in Christ, actually Christ takes all of that that you offer and makes it amazing. That actually what you're listening to, it's like Christ infusing what you have and actually he fills in all those gaps, those words you don't understand, those words you kind of mumble over or whatever and makes it Good. It's like going to going. I don't know. You know, if you've been to a, a concert, a gig, or whatever, and again, you're singing along. Uh, no one can hear you because it's so loud. But it sounds great. Again, if you imagine you just took yourself out of that, and it was just you singing on your own, it, again, it probably wouldn't sound that good. I don't know if that image is helpful. Maybe, maybe not. But what it means to be in Christ. So, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. You are a child of God. And you are in Christ. In summary, though, what have we done to deserve this? Answer, nothing. The thing about all those identities that I mentioned at the start, where our culture around us tries to say, this is your identity, or this is your identity, or chase after this, or chase after this, those are all so insecure. There's nothing wrong with having a good job, or having money, or... uh, caring about your looks or your clothes or anything like that but actually as soon as that becomes your identity which so often our culture pushes us towards and our sinful natures kind of end up invoking in ourselves it becomes so insecure and we spend our lives trying to fill our lives with those things because if your identity is in your money or how you deal with it what happens if you lose it all if your identity is in your looks what happens if actually things happen i said in the first service what happens if your identity is in your looks well you know we all get older and then i realized that actually i was suggesting that as you got older you got ugly uh and then i dug a bit myself into a bit of a hole in the first service uh trying to explain that and uh, so i'm not going to say that at this service okay but you all know what i mean but god says your identity actually has nothing to do with you it's imparted from me to you one of the things this passage talks about is uh, it talks about predestination it talks about lots of being chosen and I'm not going to tackle that topic of predestination and all those things at the moment but the key thing about it is that Paul says it's nothing to do with you in some ways it's imparted upon you it's lavished upon you and you can be safe and secure in that because it's yours you are a child of God you are a saint you are in Christ and ultimately we are for the praise of God's glory I don't know what you get or where you put your identity. I think when people say, "Do you, put your, uh, you should you know, put your identity in Christ or not, I think maybe more the question is, what are the things that other than Christ you put your identity in? Because I think all of us do it. And sometimes we don't know what those things are until they're taken away. Sometimes we don't know that we put our identity in our work or until we become unemployed or our money until we lose it or our grades until we don't do well or whatever it is. And sometimes God lets us go through tough times because he wants to draw us to himself to put our identity in him. And it's a lifelong challenge, I would say. But where are we, where are we tempted to put our identity that is not in Christ? And how can we change that One of the ways, uh, well, the way I'd like us to respond is um, we're going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit creative in the way we respond um, to this. Um, I haven't asked you uh, before to do this, Matthew, but um, on the computer there should be uh, like some music um, on uh, kind of uh, media, Windows Media. I don't know if you were happy to look it up. Uh, uh, What I'm going to get us to do is again, do something a little bit creative. Uh, part of our vision, st- well, our vision statement here at church is seeing lives restored through Jesus in a renewed space as we have fun together. And part of that having fun together is just being a bit creative and trying different things. Sometimes when we think about our identity and we try to remember some of these good things, often we need other people to tell us those things because we don't think them about ourselves. So what I have here is some sticky labels and some pens, Okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the sticky labels and pens on uh, these two tables. And uh, in a moment, um, we're going to hopefully put on, put, just put on a bit, uh, a bit of music. And uh, what I'd like you to do is just spend a little bit of time having a look at this list. And, and then I would like you, uh, m- maybe one or two of them jump out at you. Maybe one or two of them you think, yeah, actually that's something I need to think about. What I'd like you to do is come up to one of these tables, grab a pen, and at the table write it. Maybe it, it, I'd encourage you to write more than one. Maybe write one, two, or three, uh, whatever. Write that on each of a sticky label, and then I would like you to go and stick that label on somebody else. Okay? Um, and uh, don't be—I'd uh, say—don't be shy about it. Uh, lob it on their back, or if you want to, you can say, "Can I stick this label on you?" But I'll just pop it on their back. And, and, if you, and particularly, uh, particularly people maybe you don't know. Just and, uh, you know, just, just pray. Just just pop it pop it on their back. Um, and, um, a, a my, and I hope that actually later on those people might be able to look at those sticky labels and say oh okay, that's, that's, that's who I am in Christ okay um, and I hope that by the end we will all have at least one sticky label uh, on us uh, okay you up for this? I know it's, I know it's a, little, a, a, little, a little unorthodox uh, but um, I'm going to so I've got these sticky labels um, we're going to listen to some music uh, this table's a little bit wet on that end sorry about that uh, avoid that end um, but have a, have a look at that. Have a look at the stuff on the screen. Uh, have a think. There we go. And then after we've spent a moment, after we've spent a few minutes doing that, um, Al and Lydia are going to lead us in uh, a couple of songs as that, uh, as that continues. Is that all OK? Oh, thank you, Chloe. Does that make sense? So I'm just going to pray for us. We'll listen to some music. um, And then I encourage you to have a look at the list. Write something on a sticky label. Uh, I'd encourage you to do maybe two or three. And then go and stick it on someone. Okay? Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are in you. And uh, I pray, Lord, that even just... If any of us need to be particularly reminded of a certain identity in you, may you help us to uh, be reminded of that now. Thank you, Lord. Amen.